Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. I'm super, super excited about this initiative we're going to talk about today, a family ministry. And we're going to be launching that next year. We're in a new series called Irresistible. We're going to be in a campaign for the next two years called Irresistible. If you're new to Abundant Life, we do ministry in two-year runs. We set goals or objectives for two years. We're coming at the end of what we call the impossible campaign. We're going to be looking back over the next few weeks about what God has done in the last two years. And we're going to be looking forward to the next two years. Now listen, church, we don't stop doing impossible things to do irresistible things. Amen? All right? We're going to keep doing impossible things, attempting improbable things, but our emphasis is going to be on being irresistible to our city when it comes to putting the gospel on display in really, really tangible ways. So a week ago right now, I was on a plane. I was flying back from a five-day hiking trip in the Grand Canyon. And um, it was just an exciting time. It was hard. It was rugged. It, it was uh, off the North Rim, which is very, very remote. It's not the South End where all the tourist stuff happens. I'm talking my first time ever really backpacking in what is truly the backcountry. I'm talking off the grid completely. Day three almost killed me, not going to lie. I don't have time to tell you the whole story. Someday I will tell you the whole story. But day three, I felt like almost killed me. So uh, it is hot at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. There's not a lot that can live there. The only wildlife I saw in five days of hiking the Grand Canyon was two rattlesnakes and a mouse. Because the climate is not conducive for life. You understand? It's hot. It was 110 degrees that day. There's not a lot of water. And uh, I'm going up what is the last mountain that seemed like the last of many, many mountains. We're hiking to water. And so we hadn't brought a lot of water. I ran out of water. And in the back of my mind, I read about a hiker that had died of heat exhaustion just about three weeks earlier. And so it's a little bit scary. And I'll never forget coming down over the top of that mountain, looking down into the valley where there was this most amazing sight I had ever, ever seen. And I could not resist the opportunity to jump in. Man, I was like a kid again. I was so hot. I was so thirsty. And this is Deer Creek Canyon. It was one of the most amazing sights I've ever seen in all my life outside of Maui. But it was really remarkable. And uh, it was there that we saw this 100-foot waterfall of Deer Creek that flows into the Colorado River. And when we saw this water, for me personally, like I found it just irresistible. And I actually thought about this as I was backpacking. You know, our families ought to be like a desert oasis. Our homes ought to be like a desert oasis. We live in a world that is increasingly hostile toward the gospel and increasing hostility toward a biblical family. It's not conducive for life. It's like the floor of the Grand Canyon. It's hot, it's dry, it is dusty. 
But you know, as I, I got to this water, I thought about what Jesus said in John chapter four, that all that comes to him, he will give them a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And that is what I am praying. When I think about abundant life families, I am thinking about irresistible families. The number one thing we can do is reach the next generation, beginning specifically with the kids that God gives you. Abundant Life's theme then for 2023-2024 is irresistible. We want to make Jesus irresistible to people far from God. Now, Mario, our um, social media director this week actually told me that somebody had DM'd him on social media and asked if Pastor Phil was going through a midlife crisis. Can I just go hiking? Everybody's okay with that, right? I'm not going through a midlife crisis. I had one of those 10 years ago. <laughs> but what I will tell you is I'm at an age now where I can see increasingly the reality of James 4 and verse 4, that life is but a vapor, here for a little while, then vanishing away. And you might have little kids today, and you think this season is going to last forever. I cannot begin to tell you how quickly it really does pass away. And that is why I am so thrilled of all the initiatives we're going to be talking about, that we're going to be doing in the next two years of this irresistible campaign. One of the most important things we're going to be doing, launching next year, is going to be a true family ministry at Abundant Life. Now, when I say family ministry, uh, you might not know what I mean by that yet. Because historically, in churches like ours, when it comes to ministering to families, we're really talking about, you know, the parenting conference that happens every other year, or maybe the marriage retreat we do once a year, or maybe a family series of sermons that we do once in a while, just kind of an event-driven approach to ministering to families. That's not what I'm talking about. No, we're going to keep doing those kind of things, but when I think about a family ministry, guys, I'm talking about a process of discipleship. In other words, in the very same way, we have a discipleship process to grow you spiritually. You hear us talk about taking the next steps all the time. If you'll take your next step, you'll go through discipleship one, that lays the foundation. Then you go through discipleship two, that builds on the foundation. You have to have a systematic process of growing believers in their walk with God as you grow them in the knowledge of the Word of God. I've said many times, you can't grow up spiritually if you're not growing deeper spiritually. And we've been doing that at Abundant Life for many, many years. We have a very intentional, very systematic process of growing you in your walk with God as you get to know deeper the Word of God. In the very same way, we need to have a process, a system of growing families, giving people the tools and equipment to succeed in this area of truly having a biblical family in an age that's increasingly hostile toward biblical Christianity. And so this is what we're doing as we get ready to launch this next year. I'm not talking about uh, an event Come this weekend, it's a parenting conference. I'm not talking about you know an event. Come to the marriage retreat, it's gonna be awesome. Now, what I'm talking about is a process. Life change happens in a process. And so what I'm talking about is a process of discipling families, how to succeed in marriage, in parenting, in child rearing. 
uh, from, uh, in some cases, a second marriage, where now you're trying to blend your families, to hopefully bond your families in those areas uh, of life, in some cases that you didn't expect to be divorced. And what do I do now? How do I navigate this? How do I navigate a prodigal child that's walked away from the faith? We're going to try to deal uh, in this curriculum with whatever season or whatever thing you're facing as a family. It's going to be a, a family discipleship curriculum that we're developing right now. If you come to Abundant Life a long time, you've been through discipleship one, you know we use a curriculum called Directions, 18 Lessons. This is going to be a curriculum specifically dealing with families. About five years ago, I preached a family series called Castles. And we're currently, as I speak, taking the same series of sermons and we're turning it into a discipleship curriculum that we're gonna be using then to launch this ministry next year. Now, we're not done with this. It's gonna be major component is this curriculum. But the second thing, as we talk about a family ministry, is a foster and adoptive initiative. A foster and adoptive initiative. Now, we got a lot to learn as a church here, but we've been doing a lot of information gathering when it comes to foster and adoption, how we can become increasingly church thinking strategically. Uh, you know, when it's, you look in the book of James, one of the number one things we do as Christians, you talk about irresistible and being irresistible. It's how we treat what? The widows and the orphans. Do you know God has a heart for the orphans? Did you know that we were orphans spiritually? That's how God found us according to Ephesians chapter one. Yet he adopts us into his family. See, we are adopted members of the family of God. And that is why foster and adoption, listen, when we have a heart for orphans, do you understand you have a heart for what God has a heart for? And so we got a lot to learn, but we're going to start somewhere. The old saying says, you got to crawl before you walk, walk before you run. Next year, our goal, these goals have to be measurable. Our goal next year will be to help 25 families in our church foster 25 kids. And not just, yeah, you, that's, that's exciting. You can clap for that. Got to start somewhere. I mean, I think it'd be awesome someday if our church could completely take all the kids in Jackson County, Missouri, and say, we'll take them. Wouldn't that be awesome? Hey, dream big. Come on, just dream with me, would you? Oh, we can't do it all at once. Let's start with 25 and help 25 families foster 25 kids that don't have families. Now, here's what we're learning, guys. Sometimes you don't just be uh, reactive. We need to be proactive. As we're doing some intelligence gathering on how to really do this well, did you know that some kids go into the foster care system for no other reason except they have a single mom that cannot afford to buy them a bed? A bed is the only reason they're now in the foster care system. Hey, let me ask you something. Do you think we could buy a kid a bed to keep them out of the foster care system? See, this is what we're gonna be doing. When I talk about being irresistible and making the gospel irresistible, making Jesus irresistible, it's the gospel on display in tangible ways. We're gonna be partnering when we go into the heart of our city, the crossroads next year, as we launch this new campus early after the first of the year. We're partnering with a ministry called Care Portal. And what Care Portal does is they specifically identify needs physically, in this case maybe a single mom that can't afford to buy a bed and then they contact us and say, hey, would you be able to buy a bed for this family so this kid doesn't have to go to the foster care system? I'm in. I'm in. I think it's awesome. 
And additionally, we're going to help two families, I pray. This is a calling. God hasn't called all of us to do this. But God's calling a lot more of us to do this. I'm talking about adoption. I'm talking about adoption. Meet members of our church, dear members of our church. This is Scott and Christy Robideau. And that little baby, that little bundle of joy in Christy's arms is her new little baby boy. Their little adopted son that they just adopted. They did something called an open adoption, meaning there was a, a mother in a crisis pregnancy that chose adoption instead of abortion. And she was able to choose adoption instead of abortion because she knew there was a loving Godly family with open arms ready to receive her baby. Now, an open adoption means that the birth mom is still going to be in this little guy's life. They're actually going to meet the birth mom this week. And this is in some way a path forward. You talk about irresistible. Hey, church, listen, I, I find it amazing that even within the body of Christ, the church, abortion is still controversial. It's just amazing to me. Women don't give birth to orangutans. This is not that complex. Women give birth to human babies, not starfish. All right, but with the reversal of Roe v. Wade, and by the way, that has not banned abortion in America, but it does mean there will be fewer abortions in America. The church needs to be the answer. We need to step forward and say, we'll take those babies that a mama can't afford. We'll take those babies that a mama can't take care of. And that's what Scott and Christy Robito did. I'm talking courageous faith. And our church is full of people with a risky faith, a dangerous faith to do hard things. And that's what God has called us to do, to do hard things. That is putting the gospel on display in irresistible ways. You're starting to get a feel for this irresistible campaign. That's why we're calling this irresistible. Now there's a third component and it's a homeschool ministry. We're gonna be launching a homeschool ministry next year. Now, when I talk about launching homeschool ministry, don't think for a moment we're not still going to support and be living proof of a living God to our public schools. We have for years and years and years. And there are many of you, I'm talking hundreds of us right here, there are public school teachers, public school administrators, and let me say you are right where God has called you to be. The battleground for the next generation, the heart and soul of America's kids are in the public school system. So I don't think we're going to suddenly not support our public schools. We want to be living proof of a loving God. We have ministered to hundreds of public school families just in the last year in Blue Springs and in Independence with our back-to-school supply outreach and tangible ways with helping families prepare for back-to-school. But there are more and more families opting for homeschool for a number of reasons, and for that reason, we're going to help families succeed if they choose home education, regardless of your educational choices. And guys, people historically want me to take a side. Oh, Pastor Phil, are you for homeschool? Yes. We homeschool our kids. Are you for public school? Yes. We send our kids to public school too. Are you for Christian education? Yes. What I'm for is every family having options for what is best for your children, what is best for your home. Because in the end, it's not what happens in the schoolhouse, it's what happens in your house. 
And that is the message today, and that is why we're launching this family ministry. Whether or not you opt to homeschool your kids, there better be some home education. And that is what's going on in Deuteronomy chapter six. If you have a copy of God's word, Deuteronomy chapter six, what you see is God from the early days, from the early history of the people of God. He is giving parents the responsibility to disciple and develop their children personally, spiritually. The days of co-opting it out are over. It hasn't gone well for a generation after generation of kids. It's time for parents to take personal responsibility. No, I'm more than a provider materially. I'm not here simply to put food on the table and a yard full of plastic playhouses and think my job is over. No, the number one thing I do, listen, as Pastor Phil, you understand, the number one thing God has ever called me to do is not simply be your pastor. The number one thing God has ever called me to do is be three children's dad. That's the number one most important title I have ever, ever carried in my life. And this family ministry is meant to equip moms and dads to succeed in the number one thing God has called us to do, develop and disciple our children right in our home. Jeremiah 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is a portion of scripture that Jews call the Shema. It is a daily prayer. God is giving them this now as they go into a foreign land. In the ancient days, the land of Canaan, a land much like modern America, American society. It was pluralistic theologically, a land of many, many gods. And God is reminding them in the Shema that there is one true and living God. It begins like this in verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. He's reminding them, you're going into a land with many gods, but the reality is there's many counterfeit gods. There's only one God. And we're raising our children today in a land with many gods where the mantra of our day is any God will do. Jesus, Buddha, Allah, it doesn't matter all roads lead to heaven. And you know what Jesus says in John 14, verse six, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. It's a reminder that there are many counterfeits and many distortions. And they would begin the day every day by reminding themselves of this, by quoting the Shema and praying it back to God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and beside me there is none other. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He is commanding these parents in ancient Israel, the people of God, to teach their children what God has taught them. I'm talking about put it on the frontlets of your, of your brain, the frontlets of your head, the frontlets of your eyelobe. He's saying keep it in front of yourself and in front of them every single day, 24-7. This needs to be deeply embedded into the heart and mind of us all and on our kids. I want you to see something. The, the day of letting the church be the surrogate has to be over. See, I'm convinced part of the problem is American churchianity. I didn't say Christianity, churchianity. All right, church culture. The age of professionalism. 
this idea that I go to church. Do you understand? Church is not something you go to. Church is something you is. It's something you take with you, which means your house ought to be a church house, which means the church, the one you go to, should never ever be a replacement for you, but rather a reinforcement for you. It was never meant to be a surrogate, but rather a supplement, meaning our student pastors don't want to do what God's called you to do. Our student pastors cannot do what God has called you to do. Our Abundant Life kids staff don't want to do what God's called you to do. They can't do what God's called you to do. They simply want to partner with you. And increasingly in the days ahead, church, what churches historically have done have ministered to the kids apart from the parents. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. What we want to begin doing increasingly is ministering to the kids through the parents. Does that make sense? That's what family ministry is really all about. Uh, today, if uh, you go to Israel, you will see an Orthodox observant Jew literally with a prayer box between his eyes. This is where it comes from, Deuteronomy chapter 6. What God is trying to articulate is that parents have the responsibility for the spiritual development and discipleship of their children. Now, an Orthodox Jew today has kind of taken this truth and uh, maybe applied it in a different way, and you'll see this often. This is, a, this is an Orthodox Jew with literally a prayer box between his eyes, and they go to John 6 and say, this shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and what he has in that little box is the Shema, a little text of the Shema. Now, none of us probably would wear one of these. None of us probably would give our kids one to wear one of these, but here's the problem, church. Listen, for churches like ours and a lot of families like ours, where we have raised our kids in church, this is exactly kind of what we've done. What I mean by that is to say, Jesus just becomes another class to take. Jesus is just academic. And I want you to notice how many times we saw it's about the heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. See, too much of the time what we thought is that if we could give kids the knowledge of God, that they would grow in a heart for God. And that's not always how it happens. Uh, my wife was raised Lutheran, and that tradition, all middle schoolers go through something called confirmation, and it was in confirmation that she had to learn and memorize about 200 Bible verses but she would tell you today, it was just all academic. It was just all head knowledge. Had nothing to do with transforming the heart. Every denominational tradition has something like that. You, you might have gone through, or your kid's gone through something called Awana. Or when I was a child, there was something called Royal Rangers. There's nothing wrong with any of that. All of that is good. Obviously, we want our children to memorize scripture. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. But listen carefully. The fact that they can regurgitate it, the fact that they can say it, doesn't mean it's transformed the heart. It's head knowledge, but it's not heart knowledge. You see, the goal of raising our children to know and love Jesus has nothing to do with what they have in their head. It has to do with what they hold in their heart. The key to raising up our children to know and love Jesus in a world that is hostile toward God has everything to do with the heart, not the head. Learning to shepherd and shape 
your child's heart? Or in the end, all we've accomplished is this. A lot of knowledge here, but it's never been transforming here. That's the goal of this family ministry, to equip you and teach you how to do that. Listen, the church can teach a child the knowledge of God, but it's in the home where they develop a heart for God. Now, do you understand, as you begin to raise your children, you're praying to have a heart for God. Do you understand the number one thing you can do if you love your kids is to love guess who? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you know why this matters? Because your children will grow up to love what you love. If you want your children to grow up to love God, they've got to see you loving God. That's what makes an irresistible faith. The irresistible faith to, that we want them to follow. They learn to love what we love. They'll learn to have an appetite for that which we have an appetite for. They will learn to have a passion for that which we have a passion for. Now, it's not a guarantee. Every time I uh, preach one of these kinds of sermons, um, I, I'm, I'm careful because I know there's some of us here with prodigal children. I just talked to somebody after the first service, and Pastor Phil, our daughter, is 22, spiritually apathetic, uh, and, and he was beating himself up because there's about a five-year span where he didn't take his family to church, and they were out of church, and other things kind of got in the way, and he's there beating himself up. Uh, what did I do wrong? I wish I could do it again. I wish I had a do-over. Listen very carefully. Even if you could do everything right, it is not a guarantee it couldn't still turn out wrong. In the end, it's a work of God's grace because we're not raising robots, we're raising human beings with a personal volition and a personal choice that they will exercise for themselves. It's not a guarantee. Even if you could do everything right and not one among us has ever done everything right, but even if you did do everything right, it's not a guarantee it would turn out right. I'm trying to tell you today, if that's you, take yourself off the cross, walk in grace, don't walk in guilt, and know this, the story is not yet closed. Hey guys, I'm convinced my mama prayed me back to Jesus. If you'd have known me at 19, you would have never dreamed there'd ever be a Pastor Phil in the world. I'm telling you, don't give up on your kids. You don't know. The story's not yet written. You pray for them. The number one thing you can do, pray for them. Maintain a relationship, an unconditional love for them so that you still have influence in their life. And in the end, just know that God's at work even when you can't see God working. All right, now listen carefully. There are three things I want you to see as we launch this ministry. It's not coming until next year. But I want you to see where we're going in the next two years. There's three things we hope to achieve through this family ministry. Number one is this, that every parent will walk the path. That every parent will walk the path. One thing I noticed in my first time in the back country, the path was sometimes hard to follow. It's easy to get off the path. The path is not easily marked. And there were times we were off the trail. We were off the path. And what I learned right away is uh, there are markers along the way. This is what's called a cairn. And in backcountry trails, you see these everywhere. These are rocks that are stacked by other hikers that have gone before you to help mark the path for you. Obviously, these rocks did not randomly stack themselves. 
kind of looks like there's an intelligent design behind that, yes? Another message for another day. But this is something you wanted to see. We were looking for Karens all along the way. There are no street signs. There are, there are no neon lights going, go this way. And so these are Karens. I don't know why they're called Karens. I came home and told Krista, hey, I met a lady named Karen in the Grand Canyon. She was everywhere I turned. It's like she was following me around. And you know, I was always happy to see her, honey. I just need to be, I, I was always happy to see her. She didn't think it was funny. But I want you to notice, this is a little bit like parenting. The path can be hard to find. It's not an exact science. Uh, the, the trail can be easily lost. I don't know where to go from here. This is what this curriculum is gonna help you do. We're gonna give you a path to follow from the moment that little baby is born and you bring them home to the moment they grow up and leave your home and get married. You're gonna have a path to follow. You're going to see exactly what are the things you need to accomplish in their life and give you some handles for how to do this. And in every season of their life, from infancy to toddler to the tweener years to the teen years, we're going to give you a path to follow. Our hope is that you would take this map, and it's not an exact science, but God has given us the Karens. What I mean by that is God has given us the biblical principles to follow that we're going to apply in our families so that you don't get off the path. You're taking your children to a specific destination. And without having an idea of a specific destination, they will go adrifting. And that's what happens to a lot of kids. And so there's going to be a specific path, and we're going to help you follow that path. Number two, every parent will learn to never miss a God moment. In other words, there are planned moments in your children's life, and we're going to help you plan some very, very important moments in your children's life as they develop, as they grow up. But the most important moments are not the planned moments, they are the unplanned moments. So it's fun now being a parent of uh, three young adults, because now I get to debrief with them. Like, you know, hey, hey, son, you remember this? Tell me what was going on in your mind at the time. What went well? What didn't go well? What did dad do right? What did dad do wrong? That's what we get to do now. So Josh is my youngest. He's now 24 years of age. And I consider Josh one of my inner circle. I'm talking about one of my dearest friends. A lot of times you want to be a friend more than a parent. That's the problem. But I will promise if you choose to be a parent before you want to be a friend, the day will, day they will grow up and you might get to be the friend. And now we are. I'm talking um, Josh is... Uh, one of the men I respect the most in life, he really is, at 24 years of age. I'm so proud of him. He uh, is pursuing a life that is godly, navigating his single years with integrity, has a heart of humility, tenacity. He's a risk taker. He's confident, not cocky. The things that I admire most in other men. It's Josh. I consider him a confidant. He's wise beyond his years. We took him out here for his birthday Fogo de Chao. I told you they grew up to love what you love. <laughs> and he loves him some steak, I'm telling you. I don't know where he got that from, but that was his birthday dinner. Now, I got to debrief with him recently. I think about a God moment in his life. 15 years ago, nine years of age, this was a horrible season of life. Terrible season of life. For him and mom and dad too. 
So he's batting number nine in the lineup if he gets in the game at all. He was having a horrible season, awful season, and it was really hard because I knew he's really a good athlete. It wasn't just dad goggles. I know what I'm talking about. I would throw him batting practice, and he was like hitting line drives and dingers. Then he'd get in the game and whiff, strike out, strike out, strike out. I remember him getting up to bat, and I'm telling you, I have never prayed so hard. God, please, please, please let him get a hat. Please, please. Oh, God, please. Come on, you've been there too. It was so painful, so awful, because I knew it was so hard for him. His confidence level had bottomed out. Zero confidence. And I knew this was a God moment. This is more than baseball now. This, this is a God moment. This season of life could shape him, make him. And he actually told me that as we talked about the season of life he was in recently, he said, Dad, had, had you not navigated that the way you did, I would still be that insecure, scared little kid. He said he feared failure so bad. Every time he got up to bat, he feared failure so bad. And I'll tell you what I began to do in this season of life. I pulled him aside after one game. He had another game, double hitter. He'd done awful the first game, so painful. I remember being down in Branson, Missouri at a tournament. He never got in the entire weekend, sat the bench the entire time. It was painful. And I remember bringing him aside in between a double hitter. I said, son, I want you to know I believe in you. I don't care if anybody else believes in you. I believe in you. I know you have this in you. And I don't care if you strike out every time the rest of your life. I am proud of you no matter what. And I'm not making this up. The next at bat, he drills a line drive ground rule double. Now, I'm not saying this because of what I said. I'm just saying that's what happened. Just saying that's what happened. But do you understand, dad, mom, you have the ability to make kids believe in themselves when they're wondering, does anybody believe in me? And do you understand in some way that is their destiny? It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Nobody else is telling them they can succeed. Nobody else is telling them they got what it takes. And so we began to navigate the season of his life. He said, well, one of the things you did is I got him, I got him some coaching from somebody better than me, a guy by the name of Les Norman, who's still a member of our church, former member of the Kansas City Royals. He said that that began to give him some confidence. And then we began to talk, and I began to apply this verse to his life, Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Son, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear. There is no failure in trying. There's only failure in never having tried. And guys, I'm telling you, I'm convinced that the Gen Xers, that's my generation, we were the last key children. We were the first generation of children that would come home to an empty house, first generation where both mom and dad were working, last key children, key around their neck, come home from school, let themselves in. What happened is the last key children grew up and what we said is we will never do that to our kids. 
I've called this castles. That's the curriculum because every home is a castle. Castles have walls to keep things on the outside from getting in, but it also has to have gates to let things on the inside go out. What we've done is create walls but no gates in our desire to protect our kids from pain, protect them from ever having to struggle. In this age of self-esteem, they've grown up without self-confidence. Where everybody gets a ribbon, Everybody gets a participation trophy. We don't keep any score at t-ball games. We don't want anybody to lose what happens. Listen, what we've taught a generation of kids is we don't want you to fail. So they never learn to fail. They never learn how to struggle. And what Josh was learning to do here is what he was learning is that failure is not final. Failure is not fatal. We all fail, but it does not have to shape my future. See, we have to learn how to open those gates in these God moments where we start letting them exercise their spiritual muscles against the external forces of this world. And I'm convinced maybe this is why anxiety and depression is at an all-time high among the youngest generation. Because we've never taught them how to struggle. We've never taught them how to fail. It's okay. Uh, I took this verse and I literally had it framed along with a very famous speech by Theodore Roosevelt. He gave called Man in the Arena. This became part of the language of our home as he began to grow up. It says this, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man that points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself on a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who need either no victory nor defeat. Son, you're the man in the arena. And that became the language that was born out of this God moment. No longer fearful of failure. That's the kind of kids we want to raise. Not simply kids that stay safe, but kids that are strong. In a world where hopelessness is in the air and everybody is scared, I don't want to raise scared kids. I want to raise strong kids, kids that are not afraid to fail. Church, I want to be that kind of a church, a church that's not afraid to fail. We're going to be doing, again, some impossible things in the next two years, things that don't come with a guarantee, things that are risky, things of faith lived out dangerously. I would rather be a church that takes a risk for God than a church that will never attempt anything that looks a little scary. And that's where we're going in the weeks ahead. There's one last thing about our family ministry that every parent will initiate faith conversations with their children that every parent would begin to see themselves as the pastor of their home, the theologian of their home, the shepherd spiritually of their family. That at least once a week you would initiate a faith conversation. 
You say, when do I do this? When, when I bring my kids to church? No, look at what it says. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That is my heart's desire. Irresistible families. Before a watching world, listen, make your house God's house so your child's heart becomes God's home. Let's start now. Let's not wait till next year when we formally launch this family ministry and this new curriculum. Let's begin today, amen? Jesus, I pray for every mama, every daddy here, every child represented under the sound of my voice that God in heaven, they would grow up to know you and love you, that you would give great grace to every family here, that we would pass on the faith to the next generation, that our house would become a church house, that every parent, a pastor of a little flock, you've given them. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Give Jesus the glory with me, would you, church? I love you a bunch. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.